0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's,
1: time it's, time it's time
2: for Taiwan This Week.
1: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Sean Sue. Great to be back. And on the telephone from Taichung by Donovan Smith. Uh, great to be back. Uh, but I've changed my name to Salmon, so... You're jumping the gun. We'll get there later. Anyway, tonight we'll be discussing the pending rollout of the AstraZeneca coronavirus vaccine, fresh moves to curb real estate speculation, the DARTAN Reef Protection Referendum arriving at the Central Election Commission for review amid claims of underhanded tactics to undermine it, an influencer apologising over faking a pregnancy online, and also people changing their name, well, simply for a free meal. But we'll begin with the Taiwan-Palau travel bubble that we talked about on the show the other week. Well, it's now a reality or virtually a reality. Nearly, it's going to be a reality. And the Central Epidemic Command Centre this Wednesday announced that it will open on April the 1st. Palau's president, Surangala Whips says his government and Taiwan are confident about the launch of the travel bubble, despite earlier concerns. And he says he now plans to visit Taiwan on March the 28th to promote Palau's tourism and also to have a chat with President Tsai wen And Whips also says that he plans to return to Palau on April the 1st on the inaugural flight under the travel bubble and it will be accompanying the first batch of Taiwanese tourists on that flight. Now, writing on her Facebook page, President Tsai Ing-wen said the travel bubble not only signifies the close friendship between the two countries, but is also a major step for Taiwan to embrace the post-pandemic economy. However, to take advantage of the programme, visitors must travel with their tour groups throughout their entire stays in Palau, and their itineraries will be capped at eight days. Tourists will only be able to stay in hotels that adhere to coronavirus control measures approved by health authorities in Palau. They'll only be able to dine in specific areas and have to maintain social distancing during their meals. On returning to Taiwan, travellers will not need to have another PCR test as is required for other inbound tourists. However, they will need to practice enhanced self-health management for the first five days, remain isolated from family members except for those they travelled with and will not be allowed to use public transport or visit crowded places. Now, Deputy Transport Minister Chiu En-Jong says two round-trip flights will be offered per week initially via China Airlines, but the number of passengers for each flight will be capped at 110. Now, part of Taoyuan International Airport's Terminal 2 is apparently being set aside for coronavirus testing of people who opt to travel to Palau. But of course, that's not the only bubble that made news this week, as the Central Epidemic Command Centre says it's also looking to launch a sports bubble for athletes who'll be travelling to Taiwan in June to compete in the Tokyo Olympics Baseball Qualifying Tournament. Now, according to Deputy the Interior Minister Chen Song-yen. Baseball players from foreign countries will be subject to fewer coronavirus restrictions on their arrival and only being quarantined for a minimum of five days if they test negative at the end of that period. Now the Olympic qualifiers will be taking place from June the 16th through the 20th at the Taichung Intercontinental Baseball Stadium and also at the Dolio Baseball Stadium in Yunlin County. Taiwan, Australia, China, the Netherlands are the second and third place winners and they'll be playing in Taiwan. Basically it's those four teams They'll be joined by apparently the third place winners from the American tournament and they'll be competing for the sixth and final berth of the Tokyo Olympics. We don't know who the other teams are yet. We've only got four of them because the American tournament has yet to be played. Anyway, the Chinese Taipei Baseball Association and the Chinese Professional Baseball League, basically they're having a bit of a chat this week about it to finalise the plans and their proposals will be submitted to the sports administration and then to the epidemic command centre for final approval so of course sean while the government here and the government in palau have been lauding the travel bubble apparently well one kmt city councillor is claiming that people in palau are none too happy about it
2: Uh, I'm a little bit skeptical about that because the process is actually very long. There's a lot of protection for uh, Taiwan tourists going to Palau. Uh, First of all, uh, as we already know, because there's only two flights per week via China Airlines, that there's only a maximum of 220 per week and they have to be in a group that we know but the other things is also that these people uh, these tourists cannot have traveled in six months out of taiwan and they cannot have had quarantine in the last two months including self-quarantine so if they even ran into anybody in taiwan that it may have had uh, um you know the, pen, uh, the COVID, they ca- they're not qualified, and they cannot have gotten positive in the last three months. The rules are, are is, is a long list. Plus, they have to do PCR two to three hours at the airport for you know instant results, of which then they're allowed to get on the plane. And uh, there's other things like even when they come back, you know it's actually quarantined all the way for to 14 days. So, it's not like. Um, there's really any risk. And Palau, of course, had not had any cases, but Taiwan is also known worldwide as a country that hasn't had many cases except for those imported. So uh, I'm really skeptical on where he did this survey to find, uh, you know, these supposed droves of Palau people who are very concerned, especially since he's a city councilor in Taiwan and Palau is quite a distance off.
1: Of course, Donovan, maybe the people he chatted to remember the Pansher trip to Palau.
0: Uh, well, yeah, that. <laughs> obviously the Pansher was a bit of a fiasco, but that had nothing to do with Palau itself. Um, Nobody got infected in Palau as a result of it. But, yeah, I could see there being some concerns in Palau after, you know, that could have led to the only cases that Palau had, because Palau obviously hasn't had any cases uh, so far. Um, but, uh, yeah, the um, if, if I were in Palau, I probably wouldn't be too worried, because if you look at the details, a lot of them which uh, Sean outlined there, but by and large, if you look at the way it's structured, it's, it's structured in such a way as to basically keep the Taiwanese tourists away from locals about as much as humanly possible. They're keeping them in groups. They're specifically not allowed to go into populated areas. Um, they're not allowed to interact uh, much with, with people there locally. They have to keep the social distancing. So there, it's basically kind of a semi-quarantine vacation. I Presumably I you, know, you can go to the beach and it's pretty, but it, it, the whole thing kind of feels like a, a quarantine on the beach kind of trip. And then there's the quarantine upon returning. So it doesn't honestly sound like a very much of a fun trip.
1: Yes, a, a contrived holiday trip, Sean, that is not really a holiday trip because you really can't go and do very much. Uh,
2: I guess because everything is prearranged. I mean, they did have to increase the price by a lot. Uh, although some people said, you know, increasing it about 166% to seventy to 90,000 NT. Personally, I think it's because they put in a lot of these quarantine measures. Indeed, uh, there's no individual travel allowed. Uh, you know, flights are, you know, we even know the flight numbers, 7.38, Thursday and Sunday, Uh, After three weeks, if everything goes well, then EVA may be considered. But even then, it's strictly controlled. Is it a vacation, though? Considering how many people got on that flight, uh, that special flight, I think also from EVA, which they flew all the way around Taiwan, but not landing anywhere except back in Taiwan, I do think that a lot of people are going to go for this because anything is better than nothing at this point. Indeed, uh, over 400 tickets have already been booked.
1: And, of course, the sports... Um, bubble Donovan. Yeah, well,
0: the details haven't been finalized, um, so there's not not a whole lot that can be said about that. Um, I mean, obviously, people coming in say from the, uh, Australia is a pretty safe country. China's doing okay right now. Probably the Netherlands would be the one they'd be worried about most, but they're going to apply the rules, I think, pretty much straight across the board for all the all the teams. Um, they they they've thrown out some proposals uh, about making the quarantine a little easier than normal um a little bit more relaxed than normal but again these are just proposals at this point they don't really have anything set
1: but of course you're in taichung do you think closer to the date there could be concern amongst taichungers about because of course we have we have australia china and the netherlands now there are two other teams from the americas tournament will come to taiwan do you think people in taichung will maybe a bit wary of this I figure there'll probably
0: be a few people online and a few people in the in the media who try and make it a big issue. But I, I think that there's a very good chance that probably all these people will be vaccinated by then uh and they'll be quarantined. So I, I don't think that there's too much Le- there's no, I don't think there's too much legitimate worry here, as long as they, they put in the kind of proper precautions. But yes, whenever there's been, there's always some people out there who will try and raise panic, but I, I don't see it being
2: widespread. Uh, Same here. The CCC has been very, very careful and methodical through their whole entire process thus far. So it would be completely out of character if they suddenly said, "Okay, everyone's going to land in a night market and shake hands and hug and kiss. It's not going to happen. So I do believe they will handle it beautifully.
1: Anyway, moving on, but staying with coronavirus-related news, Health Minister Chen shih Zhong this week announced that the government plans to begin administering its AstraZeneca coronavirus vaccine next Monday at the earliest. Now, the first vaccines will be given to frontline health workers, and according to Central Epidemic Command Center spokesman Zhuang Ren-sheng, 57 hospitals are being contacted by the administration to basically administer the 117,000 AstraZeneca doses after they were cleared for use by the Food and Drug Administration earlier this week. Zhuang says, every city and county will have a vaccination site and while the original plan was to give just one dose to 117,000 people that has now been revised and a full regimen of the two doses will be given to 58,000 people to ensure full protection for frontline medical staff. However, a final safety review is being carried out by experts today and officials say that panel will be assessing the latest situation in the European Union after the European Medicines Agency investigated concerns that the vaccines were linked to blood clots. Now, overnight Taiwan time, the EU's medicines regulator concluded while well, the AstraZeneca vaccine is safe and effective. Taiwan, of course, received the first batch of the 117,000 AstraZeneca doses on March the 3rd. Now, an interesting survey that was released by the Epidemic Command Centre this week found that only a third of medical personnel working at hospitals treating coronavirus patients are actually willing to get the AstraZeneca vaccine. Now, according to the centre, the survey found that of the 90% of health workers at those hospitals some 183,000 people who had responded to the survey, only about 32.7% or 59,984 said they're actually willing to get the vaccine. Interestingly enough though, a similar survey conducted in late January, of course prior to the AstraZeneca controversy, asking exactly the same question, apparently then 65.2% of the medical personnel said they were interested in getting a shot. So Sean,
2: well, uh, <laughs> uh, first of all, uh, I think these are somewhat two uh, issues. Uh, the first one is about the doses. Uh, we already know that even though there's 117 uh 1,100 doses, actually, uh, that was given out, uh, about 300 for archival, 300 for testing and sampling, that the CECC realized through studies that uh, splitting uh, the doses into two, because two shots per person is actually more effective, is another sign that the CECC is basing everything and all of their moves on science and trying to do their best. Uh, On the flip side, uh, yes, AstraZeneca did have some uh, issues, uh, notably 37 blood clots, approximately cases, out of 17 million. So the chances are very, very low. Now, this actually brought up an interesting question because I, uh, you know being uh, Taiwanese and Taiwanese-American, I do have a lot of uh, relatives and family and friends that happen to be doctors. Uh, even in Taiwan, some of them relatively frontline. And I actually asked this question when this survey came out because I was concerned about you know, anti-vaxxerism. And the response was actually completely different. The reason is because in Taiwan, there's only approximately 30 patients right now uh, that are recovering from COVID. And so what my relatives, Relatives and friends had said is that we have time in Taiwan to pick and choose in fact um, it was a case where you know uh, other countries are asking, if Taiwan has so few cases, why are we pursuing COVAX so uh, uh, so hard? Or why are we trying to get our hands on those vaccines? Because um, a lot of the doctors here are saying, we can wait. Uh, we can wait for the Taiwan. In fact, uh, the Taiwan vaccine, which may come out uh, sometime this summer, uh, many are, in fact, opting for that. Uh, the, the latest surveys show that half and half are waiting. Uh, half are preferring overseas vaccines, but half are willing to wait for the Taiwan vaccines.
1: And how many don't care which vaccine they get? Uh,
2: that I, I that I wish I knew. But you know, there's actually interesting figures that came out of this. For instance, in Jinmen, a hundred percent of the doctors surveyed—two hundred one doctors there—wanted any vaccine. Ninety-two percent in Hualien, seventy-two percent in Shinsu. You would think Taoyuan and Taipei would be higher, but no. Donovan.
0: Um, yeah, well, I, I'm just very specifically on the blood clots. They found that actually the number of blood clots in vaccinated people was less than you'd actually expect for that large number of people. So there doesn't seem to be any connection between the two. It's a certain number of people are going to get blood clots no matter what uh, within a certain population and the number of vaccinated people was actually lower than you would have expected, uh, within that population base. Um, now as for the, the reasons why I think, uh, Sean's covered that pretty well as to why, um, medical personnel, they may be waiting for another one or, uh, it, but I do find it, and I, I, I have a, a, a sneaking suspicion that that one third number from the most recent poll will probably rise back up closer to the original poll from January at about the two thirds, um, because now that they've they've come out with the the findings that there doesn't seem to be any connection between blood clots and the vaccine, but um, I'm hoping that they get them out. I'm, I hope that a lot of these uh, frontline medical personnel don't don't hesitate and they go ahead and get the vaccines, because that uh, the sooner they do, the sooner that Taiwan can start pr- providing vaccines to uh, people outside of the medical communi- community. And the sooner we get back to normal.
1: Because, Sean, of course, it's the AstraZeneca vaccine we're talking about mainly here. But, of course, that's a two-dose one. So, of course, the government haven't said when the second dose is going to arrive yet.
2: Uh, Yeah, the government hasn't said, but like I said before, the CECC is methodical. They have seen other cases around the world where things have become a little bit messy. And so therefore, they will really think deeply on how to roll out in an efficient manner. So far, the CECC has been very successful in avoiding uh, too many controversy or any real issues uh, in their handling of this pandemic.
1: And moving away from the coronavirus, a coalition of environmental activists submitted over 700,000 signatures to the Central Election Commission this week in support of a referendum calling on the government to relocate the site of a proposed liquefied natural gas terminal in Taoyuan. According to the Rescue Datan Algal Reefs Alliance governor, Pan Jong Chung, a total of 703,504 signatures were collected, more than double the amount needed to clear the second stage legal threshold to call a national referendum. Now, opponents of the project are arguing that the terminal will cause irreversible damage to the ecosystem and are urging the government to propose an alternative to the plan, which we, of course we've talked about before. However, delivery of the petition to the Central Election Commission on Thursday of this week came after the DPP faced charges of conducting an aggressive social media campaign in an attempt to sully plans for the referendum The KMTs accusing the DPP of using social media to turn public opinion against the ballot came after the China Times ran a story claiming that DPP friendly groups are calling on other environmental groups to speak out against the referendum and the newspaper also said that the alleged social media savvy DPP friendly groups are linking the initiators of the referendum to the pro nuclear power groups and are also Questioning the integrity of some of the alliance's members, including its governor Pan Chang. So, Sean, we've got some. They delivered the they delivered the petition, but of course, prior to that, we had these allegations on a front page story in the China Times.
2: Well, uh, since uh, twenty seventeen, especially since twenty seventeen, the KMT has been saying that Facebook and the internet media is in the pocket of President Tsai. Uh, I think this is more of a political rhetoric than actually truth. Uh, we see similar sort of rhetoric coming out from conservative pockets in the United States, where they will uh, say that you know the internet or mass media is controlled by uh, you know either Tsai Ing-wen or other members of the DPP, which they call uh, 1450, uh, giving it a name, a sort of ominous sort of a group sort of a, a thing. But the thing is, um, do I really think that's the case? Well, uh, no. Uh, just because uh, people go to social media doesn't mean it's a concerted effort uh, that's necessarily dark. It just means that sometimes it really is just people disagreeing with you. Uh, that said, the Reef thing is... Uh, A whole other issue as well, because the DPP did in 2018 and 19 consult with the community and redesign uh, the LNG loading station. Uh, In fact, they uh, said, "Okay, we will continue building where we already have built, humans already built near the reef. And then we'll continue. We'll build this long bridge. That extends out. Spend more money, delaying it uh, so the loading station will be wait, including protection walls around the reef, uh, in order to try to preserve it. They said that they had considered other locations, but other locations will actually delay the project by 10 to 12 years, which will cause an energy shortage. Now, reading into this, there is actually a lot of repercussions. Uh, As you know, one of the most important things in Taiwan is TSMC, which produces 53% of the world's semiconductors, but also uses double-digit numbers of power and water in Taiwan and they need stable power that's one of the in order to manufacture those high-end chips and Taiwan's one of those things and plus nobody wants a 2017 uh, blackout again because that could for the DPP that could hurt their election chances so in that case there's a lot related and indeed um, for the we all agree that saving the reefs is a good thing but, uh, like I said, that's one of the concerns, right? Uh, uh, you know, why is it being tied into? Because the solution now says, well, instead of this LNG loading plant, let's turn on uh, Lungmen Nuclear Plant 4. Now, here's the thing. Uh, indeed, on the internet, there's a lot of people who have said for many years, and this goes back well before uh, this administration was in power, that nuclear plant lung, uh, in Lungmen. Um, That hasn't been put online, has a lot of connections with uh, apparently KMT affiliated companies or KMT officers that later became in charge of companies that would service that power plant. And then there's other controversies such as the Lungman plant number four doesn't really produce that much power, you know, uh, compared to the larger LNG plants. So if that's the case, then what's the reason to turn it on? Maybe a stopgap measure is cheaper, liquid natural gas power plants, while we get our uh, uh, you know windmills and other alternative energy and renewable energy sources on. Sorry, that's a very long one, but I think I wanted to paint a complete circular picture of what's happening.
1: And Donovan, do you think the DPP savvy, friendly groups are actually going out to to disseminate false information and to sully the referendum?
0: Well, the 1450 reference uh, is uh, referring to an actual budget that the government had put in place to, to do online marketing. In this case, the DPP is denying it. Uh, I, I haven't seen any hard proof that they were doing anything on this uh, outside of what you'd normally expect. In other words, politicians posting on their own Facebook you know, against the petition but i don't i as far as I know there's no proof of a of a specific campaign now the k m t also um came out and accused Facebook of interfering in taiwan's politics and that's because the algal reefs uh, alliance convener uh pan Zhongzheng's facebook account was temporarily suspended, and apparently it's been uh, suspended for thirty days and but facebook is is saying that the reason for this is that pan shared a post about former taoyuan city councilor wang haoyu of the uh, of the dpp that reportedly made allegations about wang's sexuality um and there's something about Uh, underage reference uh, it it says here, Facebook said in a statement that the post contained language of a sexual nature involving minors which was the reason for the 30 day suspension. So that doesn't appear to be uh, Facebook targeting the the algal reef campaign Uh, but I uh, you know obviously the post was taken down so we can't actually see what was in it.
1: Anyway, I have to take a short break now but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week, and the Cabinet has approved a draft amendment to the Income Tax Act that involves adjusting the integrated house and land sales tax so real estate sellers will face heavier taxes if they sell property within a fixed period of time. Of course, that move, although it sounds complicated, is simply aimed at, well, curbing real estate speculation, which has become a bit of an issue. Now, Premier Su Tseng-chang says the revised rules are not aimed at bringing down housing prices per se, but are part of government efforts to deliver on its promise of housing justice. The amendment involves adjusting the integrated house and land sales tax so real estate sellers will face heavier taxes if they sell property within a fixed period of time. Now, on Thursday of this week, the central bank announced that it's taking steps to stem the real estate speculation area and it announced a new ceiling for mortgages, limiting them to 40% of the home value for enterprise buyers and other legal entity purchasers. They released a bunch of other numbers, which I will not go into, but of course... While we all agree that housing speculation is a problem due to housing prices and housing limitations here in Taiwan, the KMT did raise a good point this week when lawmaker William Tung said that, it well, you know, there's of course been a unified income tax on buildings since 2016, but it's clearly been ineffective. So even if the government does introduce new measures to stem real estate speculation, will they actually be followed up on Sean and will they make a difference? Uh,
2: It might, because, you know, what they're doing is they're really extending uh, the amount of time you can sell and profit without having penalties. Uh, For instance, uh, if I buy a property for two years and then I could sell it and I think, hmm, I can make some money, I'm more likely to jump on that versus what they're proposing, five years. Five years is a long time out, and if I'm going to have to pay uh, up to 35 to 45% of my profits on that, and I'm not sure, because the housing market may fluctuate by then, Mm, Yeah, I might not jump on that. So it might give a second thought to a lot of homeowners, uh, landlords especially, that own a lot of homes. Although there could possibly be some loopholes. uh, You know, who will check if these houses are actually lived in, if I have many, or will I just write the the names of my relatives and all of them?
1: (laughs) Of course, Donovan, this also could lead to empty houses because, of course, developers build the houses and can't sell them.
0: Yeah, well, I, I mean, if they're if it's the first sale after they've developed it, I, I don't think that's covered under this. It's when they've when they own it and then try and flip it within the first uh, within two years as a higher penalty. Then they want to extend it if it passes the legislature, where it's currently in in committee right now. If they pass it, then they would put that uh, between thirty five and forty five percent up to five years. I, I mean, there's some concerns here in that, uh, is that a lot of these, uh, as you noted, a lot of these apartments may just simply stay empty. There's a lot of people already, and you see this a lot here in Taichung uh, in the Chi Chi area, where wealthy people buy apartments for either long-term investment or they plan to park their grandparents there or themselves when they retire, and they just sit empty, and so, we've got a, a weird situation in Taiwan where there's there's actually a huge stock of empty apartments and the prices are still really high and rents are moderately high. So none of this, I think, really uh, solves any of these problems. And another potential problem is is that to help bring down prices, which they say that this is not actually per se what they're trying to do, um, but if they wanted to bring it But they say they also want to bring housing justice, which is kind of a little bit at odds there because it's kind of mutually exclusive, the problem being young people can't afford homes. Um, I'm not really sure that putting in these taxes is gonna help here because it also discourages investment in more housing, which in theory could bring the prices down. So it seems to be kind of a a crude uh, instrument that doesn't I, I don't see that it's going to help. It may even make things worse. Now I notice that the NPP. There's several bills uh, being proposed. The NPP is very specifically wants to put in taxes on unoccupied homes, so that if somebody and you know like these people who who buy up a whole series of of apartments and then just don't rent them out, the NPP would tax that. And if that were put in, that might actually have an effect on opening up the rental market much more widely, which would make, make homes much more affordable, at least to rent, not necessarily to buy.
2: Oh, yeah, indeed. Uh, That's why I'm actually personally for the idea of a vacant home tax. Uh, Taiwan is not the only place with this problem. Uh, New York City is infamous for having tons of empty homes. So the definition of what a vacant house will be will have to be quite uh, specified. For instance, uh, if it's my summer home, does that count as a vacant home? If it's vacant, uh, you know, three out of four seasons? Uh, Those are questions that of Of course, hopefully this bill eventually will address because housing shortages and housing affordability is a major problem in Taiwan that has far reaching consequences, such as, you know, the willingness of people wanting to have children.
1: And moving away from issues such as that, we're going to move to the interweb. And transsexual influencer Wang Yao issued an apology this past weekend for faking her pregnancy. The apology came after weeks of controversy surrounding an Instagram image that she posted showing her with, well, a protruding stomach. Now, taken to Facebook this time, Wang Yao wrote, I wish to express my deepest apologies to anyone who was misled by my actions. And she went on to say that she will be more careful in what she posts in the future. Now, this all go back to... the influencer posted a photo of herself with a protruding belly on Instagram on February the 18th and included a fetal ultrasound image which appeared to have been done at the Kaohsiung Medical University Jongher Memorial Hospital and Wang Yao's boyfriend also claimed that she'd undergone an experimental treatment that allowed her to conceive and that the treatment cost them a fortune needless to say the claim led to a backlash and the Kaohsiung Department of Health well it launched an investigation into the matter and the Ministry of Health was dragged in because there was concerns that the hospital here could have been doing illegal things, basically, and well, things that aren't allowed. Now, although Wang Yao apologised, well, she's now facing possible charges of violating the Social Order and Maintenance Act, Sean. Well... <laughs> An influencer.
2: There you go. An influencer. Uh, Well, uh, this is a complicated issue. Um, My initial reaction was, oh, uh, this might be uh, anti-transsexual bias or anti-LGBTQ. But uh, upon reading it a lot more and, and, you know, looking at different perspectives, um, I'm not concerned about outrage from people who might be Bigoted, but I am a little bit concerned, uh, and I do understand the opinions of medical professionals who said that Wang Yao should not have included or involved a Gaosheng Hospital by providing the ultrasound showing fake uh, medical stuff. Because there's a there's a difference between a performance art in Taiwan, and or as Wang Yao said in her apology, she wanted to know the feeling one gets of sharing a pregnancy. And, you know, the, the positive feedback from people or love that one can get when they are announcing a pregnancy. I get that. But there were several moves uh, Wang Yao could have done. For instance, she could have not replied. She didn't have to defend herself or provide a An ultrasound that included a hospital the other thing is by saying that hospital gave her a very expensive uterus transplant may have misinformed people into thinking that the hospital was willing to do a procedure without an experimental procedure without medical board approval Uh, you know and therefore you know potentially saying that this hospital was doing shady
1: things she influenced public opinion, and didn't she, Donovan?
0: Well, <laughs> I, I think really kind of, uh, There's, there's a, this can be broken down a little bit here. Now, in her statement, she said she'd gotten carried away after being informed that a family member was pregnant and wondered what it would be like if it had happened to her. Quote, so I posed with my boyfriend for a picture with his hands on my belly to imagine what it would be like to be a mother. Now, the, the part about the expensive treatment, I believe, came from the boyfriend. And I, that, to me, seems to be where there's potentially an issue, because people could think that the, this procedure is available and that sort of thing. I don't really see the – but I think really the part that really jumps out at me about this story is is that she was – Hounded by the media, she was attacked relentlessly online, and uh, apparently was crying for every, you know, crying every day over the relentless and merciless attacks, which doesn't seem justified under this under this under the situation. You know, it's it. it, it this seems to be something that has been blown way out of proportion for what it was and bringing in the health authorities and potentially being thrown in jail for three days or fined up to 30,000 NT, and all of this over over a, a fairly harmless post where she just wanted to imagine what it would be like to be a mother. That's a relatively, you know, that's a, a harmless thing. The boyfriend making the statement about the medical claim that could you know that that could create a situation where you get where you know that that can be insensitive because it's infertile couples and uh, and that sort of thing. But as far as uh, she herself, I, I don't think she did anything particularly wrong here.
2: Uh, I agree. Um, I do feel that the internet discussion about this was a little bit overblown. But on the other hand, uh, internet influencers are very good at getting attention. But I do want to say that uh, Donovan Salmon has a great point because Anne Hathaway was in a movie called The Witches. And in the story, there was a thing about how witches wear wigs because they're bald and their hands are a certain way. And that offended certain people with alopecia or women that had... uh, uh, hairy issues and also those who were uh, or either born uh, without normal hands. Uh, and she apologized. Anne Hathaway did. So yeah, I really do think that had the boyfriend not mentioned a uh, hospital performing a procedure illegally without medical board approval, among other things, then this would have just went under the radar.
1: And of course, Wang Yao is really not comparable to Anne Hathaway. One being rather internationally famous and well known. <laughs> yes, for indeed. doing things other than posting pictures on the interweb. <clears throat> Anyway, before we go this week, Taiwan made international news this week. Yeah, we all jump up and down. Uh, Unfortunately, this was a bit embarrassing because, of course, it came after a sushi restaurant chain announced a two-day promotion offering customers whose names include the characters Guiyu, meaning salmon in Chinese, a free meal at any of its 20 outlets. Now, the Minister of the Interior immediately warned people to be careful when considering changing their names in return for a free meal. Now, household registration offices in Taipei, New Taipei, Taoyuan, Taichung, Tainan and Kaohsiung reported over 100 people changed their names after the Sushiro chain announced a promotion on Monday of this week. Now, yesterday it was reported, yesterday being Thursday, it was reported that in fact island-wide over 200 people opted to change their names for a free meal. Now, under the terms of the promotion, customers with salmon in their name got a free meal for five. Any customer whose name included the characters. Guay or You basically got 50% off and other offers were offered for lesser things. But if you had Guay or You in your name, you were basically given either a free meal or a reduction on a meal. Now, some of the names taken by people who actually went to the effort to go to their household registration offices and legally change their names included Guar Salmon Rice Bowl, Salmon Prince, Meteor Salmon King and Salmon Fried Rice. So, Sean Salmon-Sue, did you jump up and down and think, I'll change my name for a free meal? Well, uh, actually, I have a dozen middle names with every
2: single major franchise in it. Well, actually, no, I don't. But I, to, to be honest, to change your name in Taiwan is relatively easy. Uh, in the United States, uh, you have to come up with reasons why you want to change your name and a lot of other documents to, to, come, to come with that. And it's not an easy process. However... In Taiwan it only takes about five minutes maybe half an hour if, if, if things really go haywire but it doesn't take a long time and the thing is you don't have to change your credit card you don't have to change anything really because you can quickly change it back after the promotion is done so nothing's really affected nobody really needs to know except for the restaurant chain in question so, yeah. Uh, but So I noticed that people who were interested in this, um, they, a lot of people posted their photos of their ID, their new IDs with their new names, happened to be born at a time where they are currently probably college-age students. Um, and uh, those are the kind of people that, I guess, would have a lot of pocket money and would jump on in this. But the real big winner is, of course, the restaurant chain. Uh, But not only this restaurant chain, because there's a lot of funny stories that came along with this, like one woman who changed her name, went to a restaurant, ate a lot, and during checkout realized she had went to the wrong salmon chain. (laughs) 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 There was a college student who went entrepreneurial about this, because the promotion includes bringing in five guests. So what he said was, I will charge you half Instead of, I think, 600 NT, I'm going to charge you 300 NT because my name qualifies for free. So I can bring in five people to eat completely free. You pay half the amount. I just need to sit there because the requirements of the promotion does not say I actually have to eat. So I'll watch you eat and collect the money. So he was making approximately 1,500 NT sitting there watching friends and other
1: people have a feast. So Donovan Salmon-Smith...
0: Yes. Well, obviously, this is a a bit of ingenious marketing, um, and there have been worse reasons for people to change their names, so there's that. Um, But a a separate issue kind of was raised um, that was brought up in in response to this is that for a lot of indigenous Taiwanese, it's very actually difficult because their names are generally written out in letters where they're romanized and for them to get their name particularly if it's a longer one on their id it can be very very difficult so there's a lot of problems if you are indigenous taiwanese getting your name on your id or into the system but on the other hand people can go out and change their name to Salmon uh with very little problem so that kind of indirectly highlighted that problem there but Overall, I'd say this was just a a genius marketing move on, on on the restaurant
2: chain. Do
1: you see this happening again, Sean, with another restaurant chain, or do you think maybe the government will say something, like, stop
2: now? Well, the government did. They said it would cost money and resources, but to be fair... Uh, it doesn't. people are limited to three times. I would not mind if the government said if you were to change your name for frivolous reasons, they would charge you an extra fee. You know, if they charged you three thousand NT, that would cancel out almost any promotion out there, right? Uh, but that said, yes, of course, there is going to be more companies following along because they're getting millions in
1: free publicity all over the world and that's where we'll leave it here this week here on Taiwan This Week and I've been joined in the studio today by Sean salmon Sue.
2: <laughs> glad to be back
1: and on the telephone from Taijong by Donovan Salmon-Smith <laughs> it's great to be here huh? and thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me Gavin Salmon-Phipps and don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week Podcast on your favourite podcast app when you can get access to all our previous shows mm-hmm.